You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. This week we are back to talking about Vagrant Queen Season 1. We are at episode 5, I want to say? Yes. Episode yes. 5. I think so. Uh, and then also Russian Doll Season 1, Episode 8, the last episode of the season. Wow. We're going to have a lot to talk about with that one. Not so much Vagrant Queen. <laughs> <laughs> we never have much to say about Vagrant Queen. Not much to say about Vagrant Queen. I mean, there is a little bit of interesting, but other than that, not surprising. Okay. We will get into that. Let's first talk about our week's watch. Elizabeth, what did you watch this week? So, because of the time that we're recording, we haven't, Mitch and I haven't gotten to complete our exchange of movies, but we did watch, I watched this weekend Extraction, the new Chris Hemsworth movie, <clears throat> which was very good. It was exactly what you wanted an action-packed movie to be. Um, relatively straightforward, but good plot line. Um, the acting was, was good. I mean, yeah, overall, it was a great action movie. Yeah, exa- it was it was a straight-up action movie. It's, it's uh, produced by the Ru- Russo brothers, which yes. makes sense. Um, and then it was directed by a gentleman by the name of Sam... Army Rockwell? Nope, not Rockwell. Uh, he is actually uh, the the director, and I'm I, I'm upset that I'm blanking on his name. Is okay, Sam I have Mendes? No, no, it wasn't Sam Mendes. He is a uh, uh, former, not former, but he is also a stunt choreographer. Um, and he's one of the John Wick guys. It's not one. Of, it's Sam Hargrave. He was the stunt chore- choreographer on like uh, Captain America: Civil War, Endgame, uh, Infinity War. So he's worked with the Russo brothers a lot, and thus they produced his uh, his movie, where where Chris Hemsworth is ex special forces that is part of a private security group that goes in and extracts people that have been kidnapped kind yep. of thing. And so in this movie, um, in an Indian drug lord's son is kidnapped by a rival uh, drug lord in Bangladesh as a power move, and Chris Hemsworth's character, character has to go in and extract the little boy. I like the use of the word extraction. You guys are using it well in this situation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very action-packed. You know, it's a it's it's a straight up action movie. There's it is. There's not much besides the action. Yeah. There's 
some character development, but nothing out of the ordinary. There's... You have your flawed hero, broken yeah. hero, and Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got the relationship building necessary for this kind of action movie, but nothing more than that. Yeah. There's no extraneous love connections or extra, you know, unnecessary relationship building. No. I mean, you get you get some backstory to Chris Hemsworth's character, but that's about it. Yeah. But not even much of that. Uh, I, th- I, I find it funny, and this movie you know, really um, hits the nail on the head of the fact that movies, action movies like this nowadays are filmed and made so much like video games where video games, when they first came out, were, you know, supposed to be the a version of action movies. They've surpassed action movies. And then now movies are becoming more like video games where in, this is a straight up, uh, escort mission you know like yeah. uh, he, he has okay. to get the the you know the asset from one place to the next and protect it and and make sure it doesn't die and then it there's or lots worse. of huh or worse Sorry, that's the first thing <laughs> <laughs> and uh it the, a lot of the scenes break play out that way and there's there is also a uh faux oneer in the in the middle of the movie uh kind of like how oh, uh, a one shot take like a one shot uh, one take shot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like one one camera. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Look, I mean, it's a whole it's a whole like fifteen minute scene that's that's supposed to look like it was has no uh, cuts in it, but obviously, the technology that we have now, we they make they make nineteen seventeen the whole movie look like it was taken in one shot or one take. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is uh this scene is done that way, and it's it's done really well. It's it the the stitching isn't hidden as well as other stuff that's done it but it is still done really well for an action film too yeah so i mean it was it was a perfectly great saturday afternoon action movie yep yeah i enjoyed it a lot anybody else get an opportunity to watch it no i I was super curious if it was going to be something awful because i feel like seeing the trailer for it it looks like that kind of bullshit from a thing like where Mm -hmm. someone's trying to like do something different in their career but i feel like Chris Hemsworth is past that, so I'm glad to, to hear that, that it wasn't that. Yeah. I, I find Chris Hemsworth's career kind of kind of interesting because, like, obviously he wants to do more comedy. He wants to be yes. funny, uh-huh. and because of his physique, people want to put him in the action role, and you know that yeah. that worked out for him from uh, for being Thor. And then when they finally figured out, oh, he's in Ghostbusters, he's funny. Like they put him in vacation. Great. Yes. Great. Yeah. Exactly. And then like like the glasses so loud. (laughs) (laughs) Best joke in the whole movie. And then you get uh, Thor Ragnarok, which basically combines both. Like he gets to be funny and also the action hero. So yeah. Now it's it's the balance. Like he's gonna probably make the comedy and then come back to the action and come back and then go comedy action like Vin Diesel, the rock, you know, they've, they've done all those things. They want to say for that. There was, there was a chance for there to be a mix of those two things again in this last minute black movie. And it was fucking atrocious. It was pretty terrible. Yeah. (laughs) They tried to do too much. Yeah. Yeah. That that mm-hmm. that was real. They could have taken any one of the various pieces and fleshed that out and made a great movie. Yeah, they just tried yeah. to do too much. Yeah, it's a waste of Camille Nanjiani. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you're going to be seeing a lot of Camille Nanjiani in the next 
coming years. I mean, I hope so. Have you seen that physique? Oh, girl. <laughs> Lovebirds looks like it's going to be pretty funny. Like, it's almost the comedy version of, of uh, Slim. What was that uh, movie where the two, uh, the couple go on, on, a, on uh, you know. Uh, Queen a, and Slim. Queen and Slim. Thank you. This is like the comedy version of that. Um, I don't know. You don't know what that is. That's fine. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Modern day Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a modern day Bonnie and Clyde. Except for they're not robbing banks. Uh, Wait, what? They're not robbing banks? I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And was there anything else that you... Yeah, so then the other thing was I didn't watch. The nice thing about quarantine is I've actually been able to pick back up on reading something that isn't required for work. So that's been a lovely concept. So I just finished um, Dan Brown's new uh, in the Robert Langdon series origin is what this one's called Mm. and so this one if for those who haven't been reading so most everybody's familiar with angels and demons which is the beginning of the robert langdon series Um, i would say they're they're probably more familiar with da vinci code probably yeah yeah. okay so yeah you've got the da vinci code and you've got angels and demons which the books angel demon came first First. but in the movie Da Vinci Code, da Vinci came, Code first. came first because that's mm-hmm. the story more people are familiar with in right. general. Yeah. Um, so the whole premise of the Robert Langdon series is he is an expert in symbology. He, he teaches symbology. And so typically they take kind of a religious turn. And this one, very similar to the one that was done just before it in Lost Symbol. I read that one. They're moving away from the... Roman Catholic religion aspects, and in this one, they've gone to more of an AI concept. AI? Yes. Interesting. I like that part. And the potential (laughs) back and forth of what that means. I mean, it still has the religious aspects. The, The general premise is a former student of Robert Langdon's who is basically this fictional, this pseudo fictional world's Elon Musk. Um, young super genius billionaire invites Robert to come to his presentation where he's going to show and answer the two questions. He has scientifically proven where we have come from. So the start of time, the start of life and where we are going. He's extrapolated that out using AI technology. Um, And then he ends up killed on the night of his big release and so, Did you see that in his AI projection? No. <laughs> Dang it. Because he wasn't looking at the individual. The micro, the he was extrapolating at the macro, yeah. Um, so it's that whole story of Robert then trying to get the presentation of his student released to the public and trying to hunt down who the murderer is. Uh, so it's very, it's got the religious aspects, but now takes a look at them in our ever rapidly changing scientific and technological world. So, Did, go ahead. What, what are the views, of, like Robert Langdon, like as a character, is he like, is, is he like a Mulder kind of person where he's like, mm, I believe in this in any way, shape or form? I would say he's more of a Scully. He's more of a Scully, yeah. Okay. Um, very much... You know, if you break it down, 
you know, the symbols that we seem to, you know, that make us think of X were really appropriated from Y or Z. And when you break them down to their base levels, here's what they mean. And, you know, there's a place for religion and faith, but there's also a place for scientific, you know, scientific theory and scientific mm -hmm. method. And how do you balance those two? And how do we get to the true meaning of things? Okay. And, and I like, you're, you're making me interested in, in these movies and books now. <laughs> the books... So the movies are fine to me. The books are much better. They okay. do a much better job of fleshing out the characters and the storylines. And, and the science of it, too. The science, but not only the science, but the investigative process that mm -hmm. goes into it. His, his whole internal monologue kind of thought process of how he jumps from A to G. Mm -hmm. yeah, the one thing I always liked about the character seems like he, I mean, he knows all the stories, mm -hmm. but yet when he's faced with them in a reality, he's like, wow, this, this is real. Like these things are true. Yeah. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like you guys believe this still kind of thing. Yes. Like, he's, he's, he's very much the Ivy league academic who gets thrust into these real world scenarios where he's like, Oh no, I, I read my books. I give my lectures. That's, that's all I do. <laughs> well, like, that's the funny thing is that like, it, this is a, you know, Ivy league professor that's constantly having to solve people's murders. Like yeah. what's going on here? It's, um, it's, Indiana Jones. it's yeah. very yeah. much, he is an updated Indiana Jones. Yeah, like, less. Yeah, I'll so, search but, for this. I don't believe in it, though. And then, oh, oh, I, I, I should have believed in it. But he has no physicality. Oh. See, for oh. to, to me, he's less of an Indiana Jones and more of a large-scale murder she wrote. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. That's, he is. that's who I associate him more with. I, I was like, thinking Daniel, Daniel Jackson from Stargate. <laughs> never watched Stargate. Well, so I, I don't know, know what that means. Uh, the, the author actually describes... Uh, the character as looking like Harrison Ford wearing like, <laughs> one of those shoulder pad jackets. Oh, really? Yeah. That's when, what he, and so when you see Tom Hanks in the role, you're like, uh, no. <laughs> uh, but, but to that point, I think I've only read The Da Vinci Code. And of course, I saw the movie, too. And I think one of its biggest drawbacks in moving from books to cinema is that there's a lot of things that don't translate well to film. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. a lot of things that are reveals that only work in the book format because... It would be way too easy and simple to just like, hey, wait, I know who you are. You know, like you're looking right at a character. It spoils a lot of like the shock and surprise of certain some things. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to film them in a certain way and it kind of changes it a little bit. Yeah. But I like the idea of this new one. It sounds like it ties in some of that Bible code, um, like algorithm stuff that's been around for decades now. Yeah, so it deals with that. And one of the things that I appreciate most about the Dan Brown ones is it the science, the experiments, the history that he uses as touch points are very well researched and very accurate into the details. And so when he ties them in, they don't lose their sincerity. He doesn't he doesn't reach for things that don't fit. I like that. And it's, it's, it's never like it's just like shitting on something like, I mean, can you believe Christians still use Christmas trees? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like that. It's, so it's treated with respect. Yeah. It's, oh, Christmas trees were initially this kind of, you know, were this symbology and this is the yeah. reason that they yeah. use them. And here's what they, you know, their traditional meaning that's been morphed into, you know, so very much that kind of. But then Dan feeling. Brown uses that as in like his character, his secondary character, or his antagonist will be like, oh, the Christmas tree means this clue, and we'll go here, and then Robert Langdon will be like, 
Well, actually, since it goes further back, it should, we'll, we'll go over here and we'll cut in front of them kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, so it's you, teaching the reader. me on this. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I've, I think they are very good. And if anybody wants to borrow them, I have the entire series because I happen to really <laughs> like it. Um, but so that was the other thing that I watched with my eyes <laughs> as I read. <laughs> so you should also know that coming in next year sometime, NBC is going to have a Robert Langdon uh, scripted show. I did not I think know. Noah Wiley for it. He's already proven he can do it in the library. No, actually, Noah Wiley is going to be coming back for a rebooted version of Leverage, where he is taking uh-huh. over the Timothy Hutton role because That's Timothy because yeah, Timothy Hutton is now a doo doo person. <laughs> I just I didn't even know they were doing this with Leverage in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just announced a couple weeks ago, a week ago, or something like that. Huh. So. so. Uh, there you go. Your uh, what was the origin can be found at your local library if you need to, and uh, extraction is on Netflix. Stephen, what did you watch this week? So this week, I actually uh, I didn't watch a lot of TV, um, but I did read. Uh, I I read a new book. Yeah, this is the first time I've bought a book like day one, or I guess pre-ordered technically. It was uh, a new Twilight book, right? In, huh? It was a new Twilight book, right? No, 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 no. That one, that one was re- released online by Stephanie Meyer herself in 2005. So, yeah, I've already read it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2005, 2015? I forget which one it was. But the book's already out there. You guys can read it if you really want yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, no, no, no. It was a book called The Down Days by Ilza Hugo. No, It's okay. really good. None of those um, things so, sound familiar to me. No, no, um, yeah, as far as I know, this is her first book. Um, If you go look at any of her stuff on social media, she's got, like, 200 followers. And the only thing in her bio is, like, who she's represented by. She doesn't even mention her books. So I'm assuming, um, since she doesn't even mention this book, it's her first book, and no one's been like, hey, you should probably do a little bit more in that stuff. Um, (laughs) But it's written really smartly. Um, The main premise for the thing is that um, there is a... Like, a, there's a pandemic, I know. Uh, uh, it's, it's very timely. Uh, I don't know if she started writing it and wrote it really fast or if it's an older concept that just came to fruition at a very fortunate slash unfortunate time. Opportune moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's got a brilliant cover. That was actually part of why I picked it up. It's very, very obnoxiously colored, and I like that. But um, so there's a pandemic that happens in South Africa. And it's much like this, this pandemic that's from like 1918, 1920 um, that happened. I forget where they mention, but essentially the whole place was like cordoned off and everything. And there's a lot of parallels between the pitch for this one and this last one. But in the thing, everyone starts laughing like it's chaotic hysteria. And it goes for days until a person ends up um, like they, they start exhibiting other symptoms of this disease. Um, that they colloquially refer to as a few things, my favorite one being the joke because they're laughing. Um, so you'll catch the joke. But uh, <laughs> well, they start, um, they, they have this laughter thing until they're obviously exhausted and still laughing and laughing. And they're like crying, tears streaming down their face, hoarse and everything. And then their, their insides basically start degrading uh-huh. and the people die. And so obviously society has changed wildly by this. Um, the the town itself is 
separated from everything else, and they'll refer to it as sick, uh, sick town or sick city. Sick city. I'm sorry. Um, but these there's like four groups of characters that are all seemingly moving in towards each other because of circumstances, and uh, they're not necessarily all savory characters, but they're all very well written, uh, and I just love. Like South African things, I really enjoy for some reason. It's a long-standing thing for me. Chappie was great, even though it was awful. Chappie was uh, awful, but District Nine is yeah. great. District the premise reminds me of the his the historical event in when I say it was in France, when everybody caught some mysterious illness that forced them to dance. It was this one town where they you would dance until you basically died from exhaustion. And they couldn't I mean, figure out what caused it. What? That that might be the one that they reference. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, or, I'm sorry. They, they say it's a deadly deadly outbreak bearing similarities to the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, uh, a city at the tip of Africa losing its uh, is losing its mind. I say yeah. yeah. See, but it, it's it reminds me of a, a outbreak of. Uh, Joker laugher laughing get ga- yeah. you know products in 1989 in Gotham City. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch out for that stuff. It was the dancing plague of 1518 is the one I'm thinking of uh, in Strasbourg. Which I think is real thing. Yeah, John, do you remember? Do they make yeah. reference to that one in uh, in the happening, the M Night Shyamalan movie? I don't remember if they talked about that specific one now. Because I, I, I know the movie ends with France, but I think I thought they remember them making a, uh, a mention of that. Nope. Okay. No, I, I, I don't remember I don't from that either. I'm mentioning. I just remember don't be in big groups or you'll die. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the book is really good, though. Like I, Every character, I think, is really interesting. And even though I'm, like, I'm essentially halfway through the book at, right now, uh, the author themselves in talking about the book has called it an optimistic pandemic book. So I'm curious to see where it nets out in being optimistic, <laughs> but hear, hearing the conversations of the characters in the book, uh, it's, it's got a lot of parallels to current events. Obviously mm-hmm. there's a part where the person they're talking about like in 95 masks, another person is talking to someone else about like, Oh yeah, no, they're, they're totally supposed to have a cure and stuff like um, there's all these conspiracy theories for where it comes from. And if this person wrote this before current events, way to go. Way to go. <laughs> now, and, uh, okay. I was just going to say, is the laughing a symptom or is it a catalyst? Uh, so I, I, from where I'm at right now, it's just a symptom of the stuff. Okay. So as a product, as a product of that, like laughter is basically banned. Um, well, see, that's like what I was saying. Spaces. If it's a symptom that you can't, control if you laugh or not but if it's a catalyst then abandoning yeah, no, laughter like, was a good if, idea. if someone's laughing and everything out in the wild just so to speak um people would be like hey what the fuck like you see people in walmart when someone sneezes their coughs right now and uh, what, yeah. what made you want to go out and purchase this book day one like what what how did you come across it if she didn't have any books before this so i've i've just been trolling around for books i've been listening to a lot of books recently um and so getting to have one that sounds interesting, uh, it costs like 15, like 16 bucks. So it wasn't expensive or anything. Um, most recently, I've just been kind of doing William Gibson's new books more than anything else. So I wanted to branch out. Okay. And the author again? 
uh, Ilza Hugo. She's actually one that I'd like to try to maybe possibly interview for something, but I haven't reached out yet because I want to finish the book. Ah, good idea. Now, uh, is it would that be something that people could find at the at their local library, or is it gonna you need to go and purchase it? Uh, you might have to purchase it, but with it being a new author who is on a fairly big like imprint of a publisher, um, there might be free copies in their libraries out there. Okay. But no matter what, it's still on sale um, as an ebook and a an audiobook. All right, sounds good. Jessica, what did you watch this week? Uh, I decided to destroy my emotions and watch <laughs> two finales of a show that I knew the finales would destroy my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the first one I'll talk about is, I think a show I've mentioned before, and I think you've mentioned Mitch too, is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Yes. I watched the finale. Did you catch the finale? Of I it did. Yet? Oh, God. <laughs> and um, it was phenomenal. The whole show is actually really well made, really well written. The, um, the things it deals with is a lot more than you think it would deal with being a musical-based show. Um, it definitely, I think I tweeted about it too, like it didn't lie to you in the pilot how it was going to end. But it filmed it so well and wrote it so well <laughs> that even though I wasn't surprised, I was still devastated. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And it was filmed, and it was honestly more like it was filmed realistically. Yes. Like, I, I don't want to give it too much, but like the sounds that were made by one of the characters in the show, like that sound that he made is exactly what I've heard before within somebody that's in the same situation. Mm-hmm. And it just, I like, I had to pause the show and me and my mom were just like bawling on the couch for like two minutes before was, we could continue. But in but. this, I, I feel like I might have seen my roommates watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a spoiler to say what song was a centerpiece for this episode? I, I don't think so, because that's been talked about all over the internet now, because the, the last song that they do is a gorgeous, I guess, kind of sort of, I assume it's a one shot of them, the whole cast singing American Pie. Right. Yeah, it, it was beautiful. I saw this scene. It was the most beautiful thing I have seen. Like, that was just the best ending to the show and i just i love I, I like i have a thing about one shots i just i'm like oh my god is that a one shot like and yeah. that whole time i was like oh it was filmed so well it was this whole show was written so well i cannot give the show enough praise more people should be watching it the amount of emotions that you go through the amount of like sort of things that it talks about that people don't want to necessarily talk about um the way it deals with those things, those emotions, those the truths of life is great. The characters make mistakes and they make very human mistakes. And it's just a very honest interpretation of life. Just also with music and playing constantly and cheesy flash mob type musical numbers. But yeah. Yeah. I wanted to bring up the the because we talked about one shots earlier with the extraction that this one also has. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I, I believe a stitched together one shot. I don't believe it's a true yeah. one shot, but it's it yeah. still it's, looks it's, remarkable. It looks amazing. Yeah. 
I just, even when it, before that one shot started, when it was just that, that one pan above the car of them getting out of the car with their umbrellas, I was like, oh, that's, that's a beautiful shot. And then it just got better and better and better. Oh, I I really, I I have nothing but praise for that show. It's a great show. More people need to watch it. I'm so glad it's already got its second season. Like everyone should just watch anything Mary Steen Virgin signs on to. She's only great. I mean, that. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> there was uh, one of the things that I really that really upset me about not upset me because I didn't like it, but upset me because it I knew the consequences. But was the the other than the main characters that you know aren't going to be coming back for the reason why the side mm-hmm. characters that you can extrapolate that are not going to be coming back because of the reason why that kind of upset me, and I was just like, oh well, that's upsetting. So. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 see. I I know for sure one actress is she's gonna have a conflict with contracts mm-hmm. for um her, the boss character. I can't remember her name. Lauren all, Graham. I, all I remember, yeah, yeah, her. She she has another show that's gonna be filming at the same time. But as far as I know, they're working on her contract. They're trying to work around that to at least get her to be in the show at least enough that she's still a side character within it but she won't be in every episode i don't think yeah this, even this whole season she is she, lauren graham is a special guest uh cast member throughout the whole like it always says yeah. that in the credits so yeah having her come back for the second season is going to be interesting oh yeah i actually i actually that was one of my favorite relationship builders was how the relationship changed throughout the season i thought that was one of the best things about the show because it didn't go how it would typically go mm-hmm. so yeah, but yeah. Well, we'll see. There you go. Zoe's incredible or extraordinary playlist is on uh, NBC, so you can catch NBC. it wherever you need to yeah. catch it. Yeah, you can find it on Hulu for sure. I think, but what? Uh, watch out for it on Peacock later this year. It will <laughs> more than likely will be on <laughs> Peacock. Yeah, Peacock later. Yeah. Um, the second show I watched was the season seven finale of Clone Wars, so on Disney Plus. Um, the, the finale was technically a four part episode, basically a movie. They treated it like it was an animated movie with separated into four parts and it dealt with the, the Sage of Mandalore and Order 66, which if, yeah, if you're a Star Wars person, you'd know Order 66 is when, um, the clones kill the Jedi, basically when the Empire takes over. So, um, it was very ridiculously well made. It was probably more well made than the last few movies that came out that were Star Wars. So I, it had a lightsaber duel in it that I think might be my favorite lightsaber duel that's ever been filmed. It, it was just great. <laughs> now, do you think that the episode, well, the episodes total, do you think it's like a situation like, um, what I know a couple people, at least on the internet, have voiced having run into for Marvel movies where they're not necessarily, like, they, they still hit, they don't hit as hard without all of the years of being built up. Mm. Do you think that it stands on its own? Like, could someone just be like, you know what, I am going to go watch those four episodes? I, fe- I feel like... If you're a fairly emotional person, just watching just those four episodes, not even knowing anything about Star Wars, I feel like it would still pull at your heartstrings. Okay. A little bit. I mean, just just in how it felt, just in how you can tell the characters' reactions from it. Like, if you're a true empath, you probably will. 
um, if, even if you just know a little bit about Star Wars, I feel like you will at least feel a bit something. But um, but it definitely it does hit on those feelings of Star Wars fans that know what Order 66 is. That It does hit you harder because you know what's going on in the background. Because it does a good job of like having that stuff go on in the background that happens in Episode 3. But it's not necessarily the crazy main focus of, of the story. You just kind of get like snippets of, oh, okay, that's that's where we're at in the timeline right now, and that's where we're, okay, got it now. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, I, I was just curious. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was very well done. It had, I'm telling you, one of the best lightsaber duels between Ahsoka Tano and Darth Maul, which started out in one area and ended up in another area, and it, ugh, it was so well choreographed, and honestly, most of my, like, top three lightsaber duels are from the animated shows over the movies anyway but did did you see the the footage of them doing that one like with ray park he helped them uh mocap that fight oh yeah no i saw that footage and that's just i it makes so much sense now that oh of course that's how they film it that's why these fights look so great like when it's animated because <laughs> i'm like of course they actually do the caption of it or capture of it there you go mm-hmm. um but even later on in that in that battle there's it's changes scenes and they're like on these beams way up high. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, how is this even possible to fight here? Like, it's just, it's so, so well done. I mean, even in like, I think part two of the four part episode, there's this Ahsoka's just like kicking ass and falling through the sky at the same time. And you're just like, why can't I get this badassness in the movies? (laughs) Seeing that, do you worry at all about Rosario Dawson being able to live up to this? I, I, with with the hands that it's in currently, I don't worry about it. I feel like they're gonna they're gonna see how well the Clone Wars is, how well it's done for us Star Wars fans, and I feel like they're gonna try to upkeep that. So I have full faith in anything ongoing that they'll maintain this pace and this writing style. Okay. So and choreography, I guess. But John, John, are you gonna watch this one? Oh, I did already. Oh, okay. You're so quiet during it. Yeah, why aren't you saying anything? The whole point is you guys discuss it. (laughs) Well, I feel like she's doing a really good job encapsulating all of it. She's not saying anything that I couldn't say better, so just let her have this. (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. But, oh, God, it was was great. It was was well done. I, I cried. I didn't think I would. I, I honestly, I was one of the people, I avoided Clone Wars not because it was animated, but because I didn't want to get attached to the clones because I know what happens in the end and I just like, I don't need to put myself through that. And so I avoided watching it until I realized it had ended well before episode three. And then naturally Disney picks it up. So you, you get that, you get Order 66, you get to see. And that was by far what was the most heartbreaking was seeing one of the clones, um, He's named Rex. His reaction to having to be forced to follow this order, that was probably the best part of watching Order 66. Because whenever I watched it in Episode 3, I always felt like, I always wish I had more from the clones. Because to me, that had to have been utterly devastating to be fighting beside somebody, to be under somebody's lead, and then having to murder them. Like To me, that had to have been the most devastating thing. And you don't feel that devastation when you watch Episode 3. You just kind of feel sad that Anakin's killing all the Padawans, you know. Yeah. You, don't, the young you don't think about how much the clones had went through. And and especially because I've watched the other 
the Star Wars show Rebels, and I've learned that the clones, according to canon now, I guess, the clones were basically dispatched after it. They didn't really continue to fight under the Empire. They were basically retired, so... Is, I don't know. It was devastating to me. I, I felt for the clones. I felt really bad to be made to be betrayers. Yeah, that, that's been my, my least favorite part about doing like all, all this podcast stuff is knowing that one day I will have to kill the person above me, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> but that, that's what I signed up for, yeah. you know? I mean, that's, that's the way of the world. It's the way of the podcasting world. <laughs> There's always the bigger fish and the next person trying to take your place. Uh, so Clone Wars is only on Disney Plus or is it on TV still? No, it's Disney Plus. No, it's just Disney Plus, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. You can catch it on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yeah, no. I, I, think, I think that's it. <laughs> John, what did you watch this week? Hey there. So I did also watch the the, the end of Clone Wars. It was excellent. Um, but again, uh, we've already talked about that enough. I watched a couple of other <laughs> things here that were interesting as well. Uh, the first one, a friend of mine who normally doesn't recommend stuff said to check out the anime High Score Girl on Netflix. Okay, okay. She said, this is going to be right Steven up your alley. Up. Check it out. Wait a minute. <laughs> Just wait for it. Trust me. Um, it's not weird, guys. Yes. It's, it's anime. It's always weird. Well, I know it's anime, but um, I just haven't heard of this one. That's why I'm like, what is this? It's a Netflix original. Oh. Yeah. I was like, wow, I'm really surprised that this was not something that was already like a known property because it's really interesting. I want to say it's basically a coming of age, cute story, but it's mm-hmm. the details in particular that make this really awesome. So the hook of this show is that it takes place at the uh, in the early 90s. I think it starts at 91, and during the course, I'm only like halfway through season one. There's two seasons available. It, um, it goes all the way up to 94. And we're following a guy, uh, a boy, named Haruo Yaguchi. Mm-hmm. I believe he's like 11 or, yeah, around 11 when the show starts, so like around seventh grade. He's in junior high, I believe. And um, he's a video game or an arcade uh, player. Well, he's a gamer, put it short. Okay. And so he's all obsessed. His favorite game is Street Fighter 2. Um, but he definitely plays everything at his local arcade. It's all about, you know, coming home from school and going to the, lo- lo- the local snack shop on the way home to spend his lunch money on some games and, you know, then go home. He likes competing against other players at the bigger arcade. And there's a few... I guess you could say romantic interests that pop up along the way, hmm. although not exactly, because although there's a the, the the male character is sort of the the lead of the show, the story is really driven by the females that he encounters. Hmm. So like he comes across this one girl uh, early on named Akira, that happens to be like really really crazy good at Street Fighter. Hmm. So at first he sees her like as a major rival, and then he kind of becomes her friend. And I don't know if this is true for the whole series, but so far, like I said, I think I'm more than halfway through the first season. She has yet to say a single word on camera. (laughs) She is like a group. Like, he just assumes everything she's thinking. Or, like, he he takes the way that she's playing video games against him as a way of interpreting her actions or her intents. Um, So, like, real life. The best thing I like about the show (laughs) is... um, 
that they use actual video game footage in the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. Whether it's taking up the full screen so you see like the versus action going on or it's just in the background, it's the actual like video that you would get complete with scan lines and everything from those old CRT monitors. And they go really into detail. Like video games are this guy's life. So he's constantly talking about, you know, new moves, trying to find out how to do fatalities in Mortal Kombat. Um he talks about like this is basically like me growing up. Like I remember having these conversations in the playground with other guys. And um, one of the details in like the very first episode that he talks about is how in order to beat that girl the first time they fight each other, uh, he has to use a mo- uh, a style in Street Fighter called turtling. Legal is yeah. You it's basically considered a cheap move or like a um, you know not a what you call it, like a, a very sportsman-like behavior. So like camping and Call of Duty yes. or Halo? Okay. Exactly, yeah. It, it's considered uncouth in the arcade to, to play in that style, but he has to resort to that in order to beat her. Um, and then he, he's fine, he sees her at a different arcade later on by herself, and she beats Street Fighter Two using Dalzim. Mm-hmm. And he's all like, oh, I could do that too. So he goes over to put in some quarters in the machine or whatever coins they use over there. And he realizes that she beat uh, Street Fighter II using Dalsam with only the low punch and low kick buttons available. <laughs> so he was like, what? <laughs> and like he couldn't even like get past, I think, the first guy with the, just those options. Like he, So she's like some kind of savant, like she never speaks. And then he comes across another girl later on who happens to also be like very naturally good at it. Like, she's never played games before. He calls her a button masher, and yet she still is able to beat him, and he's just perplexed mm-hmm. by this. So, like I said, like, the females are the ones that drive the plot. All he cares about is playing video games, and then eventually things start to change as they start to get older. Um, but I just really like it. It's just, it hits a certain nostalgia because of the you know where it takes place. Um, obviously, I've never been to Japan, but I can definitely relate to you know going to the arcade after school, talking to friends about moves and rumors. Um, there's a really great moment at one point where somebody uses Akuma and it just totally blows the main character's mind for like Super Street Fighter 2. I remember the first time I saw Akuma in action. Right? <laughs> and like he even he goes on this rant about how like they keep releasing Street Fighter 2 updates, but not a Street Fighter 3. Yeah. Like we got we got Turbo Edition and everything. Yeah, the new challengers yeah. and uh, all that stuff. And he was like I don't understand why they won't just release a three. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that like was my Elder main Scrolls watch. right now. <laughs> Dude, honestly, seriously though, like don't be surprised when I call the next Elder Scrolls just Skyrim two instead of keeping the nine. That's what it's gonna be. <laughs> I think I've actually seen a meme about that somewhere. <laughs> and it's, um, it's painful. Yeah, and then kind of tangentially related to video games, um, I did also want to mention one quick sort of news story. As Stephen might know about this, Nintendo just suffered a really devastating leak. Oh, yeah. They did. They did. They lost several terabytes of data. They don't know how or why, but apparently they even got the source code for the hardware for the Wii, the N64, and I think the GameCube. Yeah, the the um, I'm not sure about the GameCube one. Uh, definitely, definitely Wii and 64. My favorite joke about it was that the the Wii source code was just two GameCubes taped together. 
So the interesting thing about that, from what I was reading, is that now that they have the source code for the hardware, they can clone the hardware, and you can actually buy it, well, potentially buy a reproduction N64 and not have to fork over scalper prices now for collectors mm -hmm. uh, or things to that matter. And also, this is going to be a huge boon for emulators. I think they say that now, because there used to be this thing about the way that the N64 was coded, that it was very difficult to rip those games. Mm -hmm. Or you'll be able to get those now eventually it was always crazy about the proprietary stuff um and making it harder for people to pirate their things uh so i can't imagine how pissed they are about this one because we're talking about a, a company that still like every once in a while when some like social media story is possible to have happen they'll just donate 100 like inbox um nes's and snes's <laughs> to people they're just like yes no we have a full warehouse of those so they they hold on to their old things. <laughs> okay, so High Score Girl is on Netflix right now. You can uh, watch those seasons there, and uh, Nintendo's proprietary information is out on the internet if you can find it. <laughs> now, now it, it, is it really just saying about my 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 uh, reputation that I just happened to mention something that's anime and it says High Score Girl in it? And the first assumption is, oh boy, what's this gonna be now? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if the shoe fits. If anybody would have said anything about anime, I would have been that way, anyways, because that's anime is just weird. So. Weird. No, I, I, my reaction was more like, why have I not heard of this anime? But if it's a Netflix original, that makes sense. That's fair. That's fair. I figure. I know. I I dug my grave, so I need to lay in it. <laughs> it, is, it is also a CG one, but a well done CG one. Oh really? Oh no, yeah. You can't even really tell in some scenes, except for when the animation is just too good and very fluid. But yeah, mm -hmm. I noticed that too. They'll do like pan around shots, and they're like, "There's no way somebody could have hand drawn that. Like, this had to have been like CG mm -hmm. model, and just like mm -hmm. cel shaded or something, because it looks too." Good. They're getting really freaking good at it. And I mean, I'm happy about it because I hated that middle ground that we were stuck in before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. All right, Mitch, what's yours? <laughs> <laughs> so for my week's watch, uh, I have a, uh, a few. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I watched the limited series uh, from Net FX on Hulu now. It's uh, called Ooh. Devs. Uh, it is a limited series, eight-episode uh, sci-fi noir thriller psychedelic thing from uh, writer-director Alex Garland. If you watched movies like Ex Machina or Annihilation, this is very much in the same vein. Um, the first uh, episode introduces you to a, a character by the name of Forrest. He is a CEO, CEO of a tech conglomerate company like google or uh apple and he uh essentially um uh, oh he's played by nick offerman and fantastically yes he, nick offerman does an amazing job in this this show actually all the actors do an amazing job in this show um you think the now i'm just gonna spoil the first episode because it's the first episode <laughs> Uh, but I will not spoil anything else. Uh, the first episode, you th you really think the show is about this this one character that you're introduced to uh, by the name of Sergey. Yeah, he gets killed at the end of the first episode. <gasps> and, not a psycho, <laughs> right? Uh, or scream. Um, but yeah, it, it eventually you, you're following um, the character Vili Chan, who is also his girlfriend, and also works at Amaya, this tech conglomerate. And Which is a building shaped like a 
child. Well, there is a giant child statue. Yeah, they have the monuments on the on the campus. Uh, it's creepy. It's like it's sixty creepy. stories tall. And I have come to realize that some people don't not necessarily. It's not necessarily a real building. It's more of a hologram. I guess I didn't catch that in the show, but that's yeah. It's, it's not a real. It's not a real statue. It's not really there. It's a hologram that's made to look real. Still creepy. Yeah, it's still a hundred feet tall. Yeah. No still a hundred feet tall weird. in the middle of the forest. Yep, middle forest. Yep, it's just of a like, three-year-old girl. Of a three-year-old, yeah. <laughs> so, so wait a minute. Go back. Are you saying that the guy you think is the lead gets killed, and then the girl is actually the lead, like the girlfriend? Correct. Yes, is actually the lead. So it's a man in the refrigerator. Yep. Instead of the woman in the refrigerator? Exactly. Yeah. I'm all for this. <laughs> At the same time, though, he doesn't just die to motivate her. He's tied into something bigger. This okay. is also true. He's not entirely fridged. Yeah, right, not, not entirely, entirely, but fridged. somewhat. Okay. It is the catalyst for the story. Okay, so that's, that's uh, nice. it is all over so, the place. This show is very, very trippy. You have to pay attention quite a bit. It goes deep into quantum mechanics. It goes into uh, fate versus determinism, or no, determinism versus free will. Uh, all these things, it's it's very existential. It is going to make you question a lot. And uh, if you have an ear <laughs> for sound design, you will probably enjoying this i did not i loved it it, it was so good the oh, sound yeah. design in this did not make me happy but uh <laughs> yeah it is very unique in that way so did, now a- afterwards we talked about one particular thing mitch and i because he said he didn't like the sound design mm-hmm. and like that was one thing where it's like when i watched the episode i was like damn should i write an article about this for <laughs> a geekly because of how much i liked the sound design wow the, had you um it, like I, I talked about a particular elevator scene with you. Yes. Had you felt the, like, had you taken in and felt the same kind of thing about that sound design part? Or did you just, like, go past, like, nothing? No, like, well, I, uh, as I notice it, I didn't, I didn't have the same reaction that you did uh, as you described it to me um, from that scene. But when I listened to it, it was more of an annoyance. So it, I, I tried to block it out mm-hmm. as much as I could to focus on what the characters were doing. Okay, no, that's fair. So that's it was that's kind of the way that, that... the elevator scene in the last episode? No, he's only seen the first episode. Oh, okay. So it is... It's okay, I've only first, seen first, half of the last episode, so it's fine. I, I, um, for me, it was first episode and half to three quarters of the second episode is what I've seen so far. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Devs is on Hulu right now. I don't think that I would have enjoyed this show as much as I did if I had to watch it one week at a time like it was. It was more of a binge show for me. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, did other than Steven, did anybody have any opportunity to see this show? No? Nope. Sounds cool though. Okay. Yeah, give it a try. See, Tell us yeah. what you think. Uh, the other show I watched, uh, somewhat of a similar uh, topic in a way is uh, Amazon's new Amazon Prime Video's new show Upload, which stars Robbie Amell. It is a show where this character um, essentially you you it's like the episode of uh, Sam Junipero of Black Mirror. Um, okay, when you die, you instead of dying, if you're about to die, you can upload your consciousness to a 
uh, server where you then exist on a plane with a whole bunch of other people that have uploaded their consciousness and uh, and you get to live in a life, a life of luxury if you ha- still have money because things are there are a lot of microtransactions and uh, you know there's still glitches and stuff like that so uh, it's a comedy. It's it's ma- it's created by the same guy who did uh, The Office and uh, Parks and Rec, and mm-hmm. it is very much a comedy. But then it becomes a dark comedy, and then it also becomes a whodunit because your main character needs tries to figure out who it is that killed him, or at least uh, orchestrated his death. There is a lot going on, but it's also yeah. a very simple show. Like it is, it is very, it is a very simple show. Robbie Amell honestly does a really great job as a leading character in this, but the I think the show is really stolen by the, your leading female, uh, Andy Allo, which most people won't know her name. She has been on a very few things, but she does an amazing job in the show. So, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, like, honestly, if someone were to like pitch the show to me, like, if they're like, "This is what I'm looking to get made." Uh, and they said all the things that you said happened and I'd be like, what was one of those things can we lose? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I, I could see I could see where it seems like the, it would be a lot of stuff shoved into one show. And these are half hour episodes. And I believe there's only 10. Yeah, there's only 10 episodes uh, for the first season. But it still it, plans out, plays out really well. See, but I feel I'm, like it would work because, I don't know, if I died and got uploaded and I didn't know why I died, I would definitely want to figure out why I died. Yeah. That would be but, like the first thing I'd want to do. So it kind of makes sense. Well, it's not the first thing because he dies thing. from a car accident. Like he's on his oh, way to the he's in the hospital after the car accident and the they're like you know, at this moment your your lungs are um what is it called when they're deflating? You you have a punctured lung and you're probably not going to survive. So either we go right to the place where you can get uploaded or we go left to the surgery where there's a possibility that you die. Which one would you rather do? And he kind of gets peer pressured into being uploaded by his at the time girlfriend, uh, who has a lot of money, and uh, he then is then finds himself there. But then, as things fall into place, he comes mm-hmm. to realize, well, wait a second, you know, maybe I died uh, from nefarious reasons. So, so was it the girlfriend? I mean, you have to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, and surprisingly, the trailer then does a really bad job at describing what's going on because i watched i've seen several of the trailers just like on social media and like it looks so boring like it looks like just see to me it didn't to me it looked like a trailer for like the office or parks and rec like it felt like the same writing style so and since i already know i like that writing style from the office and parks and rec i was like all right this is different but i'll give it a try i haven't been able to watch it yet but it's yeah, I would, on my to-do list. I would say your first half of the season is a lot like Office and Parks and Rec. You'll get that kind of comedy, and then it goes a little bit darker, and then it goes a little bit darker. <laughs> it, it should naturally get darker if it theme is death. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, that is on Amazon Prime Video. The last thing I want to talk about is my <laughs> movie for the week that uh, Elizabeth had me watch. And because of Cinco de Mayo, I decided to watch a movie sort of in that vein. We watched Coco, which I had never seen. Uh, one of the more recent Pixar movies. And uh, I'd say I, I really dug it. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a really good movie. Uh, I love 
a lot of the <laughs> cast in that movie. Uh, Gal, Gal Garcia Bernal, uh, Benjamin Bratt. I didn't know the young actor who played Miguel before this movie, but he doesn't. He does an amazing job. If that is him also singing, which I'm sure it is, it is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I just I I really I I had a good time with it. It, it I like that later on movies from Disney such as these are paying so much more respect to the cultures that they are mm-hmm. uh using for their stories i mean you got the same thing in moana which is one that i have seen and you know uh and this this so uh it's a very cute story it is a very um family oriented which is once again a very disney thing to do and uh i i enjoyed it i had a good time so thank you okay good anybody else yeah, want to cool. chime in on coco i mean i feel like that's a one more that people have seen you seemed happy while you were watching it. <laughs> I was happy. I was happy watching it with you. <laughs> Jessica's like, a little obsessed with Coco. Oh, really? I mean, she's a little obsessed with Disney, so. I mean, I'm a little true. obsessed with Disney. But Coco, I, didn't, I don't know if it's because I saw it in theaters and just seeing that, that initial scene of him crossing the bridge and then seeing the world of the dead, like to me on the big screen, that was the most beautiful thing I had seen. Till then, like just all those I mean, the, colors. The, the colors are so very vibrant. Yeah. They really are. So beautiful. And that, and I just, I, Dia de los Muertos is one of my favorite, like, cultural traditions of a culture that I don't belong to, but I, like, praise that tradition. I think it's utterly beautiful of a tradition. And so just to have a whole movie themed around it, I was just super happy to learn even more about it. And, so and it even got Mitch to tear up there for a little bit. I mean, which part? The, the the part where I thought the dog died. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. You, you have emotional weight here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But apparently dogs and cats and spirit animals can go between the two worlds easily. I mean, yeah. sure. Freaking Hedwig couldn't do it, but this dog, this stupid ass like sausage dog gets to live. <laughs> sausage dog. <laughs> oh, feel like you might have some animosity there, Stephen. <laughs> I think that was the first well, time I threw a book was Hedwig. Oh, wow. <laughs> I threw that book twice for Hedwig, Hedwig and couldn't Dobby. do it because he wasn't Hispanic. That's why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know you're not supposed to throw books? You're supposed to put them in the freezer when it upsets you. <laughs> I was reading it. Like, I, I read that book so, within like 10 hours yeah. of like not sleeping. And just, I thought oh, Dobby like, dying was fine. I didn't care at all. I did not. I was not. Happy. You're so full. You're so full of it, Stephen. And then he had a dagger in his chest, and you're just like, what the? The <laughs> <laughs> same thing with Hedwig, though. Like, yep. what? oh, and then a little flash of green hit Hedwig. What the fuck happened? Yep. The, the, what like, is this bullshit? I went. <laughs> I just don't feel as about this one for Hedwig, but like, I. All I want in everything is for when some when someone dies. Every once in a while in a show, it's okay. People die and they're just, they just they're just dead. It's not a big like crazy thing that makes a massive difference in anything. So Hedwig dying in like a <laughs> of like green was like okay, yeah, because Hedwig didn't go and do some insane thing or whatever. It's not like like Harry and Voldemort were like dueling and then Hedwig flies between the two wands and then saves Harry from some shit. Like just dying was fine. But yeah. why did it have to be Hedwig? Why couldn't it have been Ron? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, there was discussion about, I mean, in the initial, in the initial plot line, 
J.K. Rowling had intended to kill Ron instead of Fred. Perfect. Ooh, that would have been devastating. Oh, I like it. I think at that situation, like she was like, you know what? But I've got two of these, so you know what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Plus, it's got more stakes that you have one twin, or you having to live when the other one dies. You know, that's. I think that's that is, more story that worthy. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. but that that gave rise to the perfect meme of every time Fred looks in a mirror, a mirror, it's always going to be a mirror of Erised. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, but but then you you can't kill Ron though because if you kill Ron then Hermione will about love and then she'll become well, a horrible spinster of a teacher. You don't know that she the, she could the have original, found the mother I, love. It was proven in the stupid cursed child. <laughs> yes, that in the but that was the mother. afterwards the the statement was that initially Ron was going to die and Hermione would end up with Fred. When initially it was Ron that died, not Fred. Oh, see, see, I would have needed a lot more of gelling between Hermione and Fred. No, well, one day we'll get a Kelling timeline like like for Harry Potter using Time Turner shenanigans. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's that doesn't even seem that crazy. I know what you guys are doing. You're trying to po- po- postpone going into Vagrant Queen. It's not going to yes. work. We're still going to talk about it. <laughs> Hey, Mitch, have you seen Book of Life? How does that compare to Tokyo? I haven't no, seen no, Book I, of Life. Mitch, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, and I don't I don't know if we have enough time to cover both shows tonight. You know what's the funny thing is we have all the time in the world this is a recording. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Coco is on Disney+. Plus. You can go and catch it now. Let's talk about Vagrant Queen. Or we could just not. Episode 5, Season 1. Yeah. Temple wait, 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 of Doom. I have an idea. I'll just read the summary off of Wikipedia, and then we can go on. You know what? That's what you actually can do. You you read the summary off of IMDb right now, since you didn't watch the episode, and we will. <laughs> the rest of us will have to talk about it. Just snuck your way around. <laughs> should, should I actually go pull the, the summary off? Yes, of please, please do. Awesome. Okay. So vamp for me for a second. If everybody here. remembers at the end of episode four, uh, the ship. Once again, crash lands onto a desert planet, uh, and bunnies. but there are yeah there are little weird lizard bunnies, and uh, uh, <laughs> Isaac has been bunnies. has been uh, jettisoned from the ship because he has apparently the ship has a ejector seat, which makes absolutely no sense for a ship in outer space to have an ejector seat. <laughs> it's space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did we see him get thrown out of the ship? Did we hear him yell in space also or something? No, he the, didn't get ejected till they in, were on until until the they were in the atmosphere of their of the planet. <laughs> it still doesn't make any sense to have <laughs> an ejector, an ejector seat. seat. Yeah. Did you find it? Did we vamp long enough? No. Uh, no. No. I I I looked up. I shouldn't have looked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. So I've got that one here. <clears throat> So, well, they they have spots for the other ones, even. So we're we're talking about the episode in a sticky spot, correct? No, we're talking about Temple of Doom, episode five. (laughs) Yes. Which, uh, John, how do you feel about them stealing from uh, the title, the subtitle of of a movie from the early 80s? I didn't even notice that. Oh, really? (laughs) Stealing from a subtitle. 
the Indiana Jones. Yeah, yes, exactly. The Temple of Doom. <laughs> they even oh. bring up the idea, the movie in the sh- in the episode because Isaac explain, explains to he her, had made her watch it. He had made her watch it at one right. point. Yeah, and and, and he had made her watch Star Wars. And she he had made her watch Star Wars. Yeah, she how did they get it? Was literally both Han Solo and Indiana. Yep. Yes. I so. My continuation of sort of having a love-hate with this show is continuing, <laughs> and this definitely strengthened that, be- primarily because of that scene. Like, at first I was kind of interested in the fact that we finally got to see what's going on and how Isaac ended up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, okay, so this this uh, this takes place in the future, because we're at a point now mm-hmm. where somebody who's a lawyer is doing some kind of reconnaissance work by Jupiter or something. <laughs> well, he had a, they had a what's, deal what, that they had a broker. Uh, yeah, broker, whatever. Yeah. So he's doing like basically real estate or something in space or something. I don't know he's what's going on. Practicing real estate. But anyway, <laughs> I was like, okay, so this takes place in a future Earth timeline. Got it. So so far so good. Because we finally were in the galaxy that we are in. Ooh. Yes. Any yeah. point of it? Yep. Yes, Jupiter. You yeah. know the one. You yeah. know the one. <laughs> you know the one. You got Thank the right you. one, baby. And so. Um, yeah, so that means that when he was found, he happened to have with him some kind of recording or maybe a collection of movies that he now has with him at all times that he was able to show, uh, Elida, Elida, what's her name? Almost like a Star-Lord? Yeah, what the fuck is a lot like Star-Lord, yeah. Except with movies instead of music. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's got an awesome mix of movies. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Mitch version of Star Lord. Except for I wouldn't have Star Wars on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't get awesome for it, Mitch. I mean, that's got that's a given. You have to have that in any yeah. like bug out movie bag. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, you do. I mean, at least the original trilogy. No, you don't. If nothing else, to show other other species what we well, what our for... cultural is. Mm. Cinematography. Mm. It was still a huge, huge it's, change in how things were filmed. You still need co- that movie. One copy of Princess Mononoke. Three copies of The Golden Child. Just in case. Okay, we, we, you're you're postponing long enough, Stephen. You're supposed to read this uh, synopsis. Nobody submitted a synopsis, so all I have is the summary. Literally nobody summer, like, put one up here in the massive community that is the IMDb f- fan-sourced crowd thing. Because we're so the only ones watching it. <laughs> it says, the team arrive on Wix to unexpected revelations. Betrayal leads to a bloody showdown. All right. Yep. There you go. There's the summary. <laughs> so as no one was surprised at all when it comes to this episode, half had been lying the whole time. <gasps> What the queen or the queen regent uh, Alita's mother is not alive, not being held prisoner on a planet. Uh, it is his way of getting her to this planet that has the most ultimate device uh, weapon in all the galaxies and universe, uh, and only a person of royal blood can get it out of the chamber. The force. Yeah, sure. In <laughs> <And> the stone. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. They guide her to this planet. It has the it has the um not so much Temple of Doom, but it has traps like uh, Last Crusade in it. And stupid. It needs to have her <laughs> blood to to get past those traps. Gets the weapon. Our favorite anti no 
our favorite general that is no longer general because he's wanted by his own people now for failing so many times is, shows up and steals the weapon because Hath apparently just didn't want to teach her how to actually use the weapon or didn't want to inform her on how to use it. And Well, except he quote-unquote tried to as the temple was coming down around them and she's like, can we talk about this when we get outside and away from death? I mean, if you want to make excuses for it, sure. <laughs> well, and then we find out that Isaac betrayed them all. Isaac did yeah. betray him because as the, ship that the whole point of this episode is to give us some backstory on Isaac, or at least we got some backstory on Isaac so that we can know why he betrays them, and it's so that he can get back to his wife and child, who he's been away from for years. Been like six years now, haven't Yeah. So well, who knows what, how time works? Actually, no, it probably works in the dumb way. It's not like in yeah, time it, probably works in the dumb way. In which it's it not like interstellar. Time. Yeah, it's <laughs> not going to be interstellar time. Now, I did really enjoy that guy who was sort of like the one explaining everything to Isaac once he was found, because he was just very like happy and excitable just to like have this really strange, unfortunate phenomena occur to him. Like, the way he explained it all, he was like, this is like a one in a billion chance, man. It's incredible. <laughs> so, how do I get home? And I was like, oh, yeah, we have no idea. We don't even begin to understand what happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's like, he's like, hey, you know, there's no way for you to go back. He's like, but there's a way for me to get here. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Like, it's just. No, <laughs> no, not awesome. <laughs> terrible. Absolutely. Star Trek Voyager. It's also Farscape. It's a, it's all it's this show is literally just a rehash of every sci-fi thing you've ever watched before. Why, why it should be called the vagrant trope. <laughs> I mean, if they played more into the fact that they are making fun of tropes, I would like this yeah. show more. Yes. It we would, got another one of those great action scenes. <laughs> I don't know why they just, they found that 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 thing like the thing that was popular in 2004 to make it bullet so that time. yeah it's not it's not exactly bullet time but it's it's another thing where like the camera moves around everybody as they stand still like i remember it was on a csi like uh, episode like the original csi show like way back when and the mannequin challenge yeah, it's essentially the mannequin <laughs> challenge like but done with computers instead and like they use it in every episode and it's just now, to be fair, Weird. it did look kind of cool in the last episode when they were having the shootout at the airport. But in this episode, yeah, it made no it sense. Kind of ridiculous. As they're being attacked by sand worm thingies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Graboids. Yeah. yeah was I was going to say, another? It was trying to be graboids, but they're much skinnier. Yeah. This is one show where people die on it, and I find myself laughing over feeling bad <laughs> for them. Well, I mean... <laughs> Every single red shirt, like, <laughs> died in this episode. It's just like, they just make characters to kill them off. It, uh, yeah. Just every every death, I'm just laughing. I'm not feeling anything over it, because it really doesn't matter, so. The guy that was dismembered made me laugh so hard. Oh, yes. And I was like, was this supposed to be an emotional moment? Because that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I felt that way in the last episode, too, when the, the girl died the, the blue lady woman died where the blue lady there we go the blue lady died i was like oh, oh like it seemed it wasn't filmed to the way that i felt like she was even dying at the moment i was like kind of sort of just rushed or, i don't know i feel like they just haven't fit 
flowed to make you give a crap about a character dying. I feel like I should have cared a little bit about her character dying at least, but... It feels weird to look back on, like, the first big death that we saw. Well, I mean, besides, like, the queen or whatever. Um, but the the little dude. Like, oh, right. that, yeah. that was probably supposed to be played for the, the same kind of, like, <gasps> kind of thing. Like that it just failed to hit every time. See, I feel like if he had died at the end of the pilot, like he should have with the explosion, I feel like it would have hit harder than bringing him back and then having him slice his own throat. And, like, I feel like... <laughs> It's not quite hitting prize deaths. Like, you know, remember when Hedwig died in Harry Potter? (laughs) (laughs) So at at this point, uh, they get trapped trapped in the temple, um, but they get out as that general dude. I don't even know what his name is. I don't even care to know what his name is. He's he's off-brand Camille Nanjiani. Yeah. Sure. He has like so much of the way he plays a thing. Yeah, fair. And he has the other part of the weapon so that he can now control people. Like the whole thing is that he has the a, mind control. He has yeah. He's the power of suggestion. Like to the great uh, amplified amplified version of it. Uh, as all the the uh, soldiers come to take him away and take him back to the people that he's supposed to be working for. He stops them and says, okay, now you all work for me kind of thing. And that's it. That's where the episode ends. Well, no, no. she also says that she's not going to forgive Isaac for his yeah. current betrayal. But I mean, we know he, she will. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that useless. Cause he'll, cause he'll do some sort yeah. of self-sacrifice. Yeah. So, uh, just to, just trying to look, look it up. The first, uh, episode of the season had 375,000 viewers. Not even yep. getting to the million. Uh, the latest episode had 168,000 viewers. Dude, I, I genuinely wouldn't have been surprised if it you didn't say the thousands part. <laughs> I mean, they're, th- those are numbers that are extrapolated from, you know, uh, Nielsen ratings where they're taking uh, samplings. So they're saying that so many people that have Nielsen boxes are watching it. This is how many people were watching it in the rest of the country, but that also could be not true. So, uh, it, yeah, it presumes a that's a good sample, accurate sample. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, anything else anybody wants to say about American Queen before we go on? It just sucks. <laughs> he didn't even watch it. He, he didn't even watch it. That's true. Okay, we only have five more episodes to go, so you can count it down. June June fourth is the last episode of that of the show, so there you go. Uh, let's get into Vagrant Queen. Or sorry, Russian Doll, episode eight, season one. Before we start talking about that, I wanted to bring up a thing that I've been trying to remember to bring up for the last three weeks, uh, which is a crossover for this show. Um, the creator of this show, Leslie Headland has been named the next uh she's going to do a show for disney plus about star wars so you guys all should rejoice it's going to be a female-led uh show uh centric show and more than uh likely the if the rumors are true it's going to be about dr afra uh a character that is being highly pushed around now in the star wars universe she just had a comic book she just had a book um drop so yeah it's going to be it, she is essentially 
Indiana. From what I understand, from what people tell me, I don't know. Maybe you guys know better. She's Indiana Jones in outer space in the Star Wars galaxy. So that's Han Solo. No, Han Solo <laughs> looks out for she, himself. Indiana Jones tries to get those things back into a museum. Yes, she's like an archaeologist in space, and she somehow works for Darth Vader. That's about all I know. I need to read. I actually might read the Ooh, comic. Looking for Sith relics. Yeah. I'm thinking. Sister I'm down. <laughs> I mean, uh, Disney Plus really does need more original programming. Like, oh, yes. we had The Mandalorian, yes. and they have those other handful of like, like yeah. the world according to Jeff Goldblum, and you know, a couple other things. But like, they haven't really had anything new in a very long time. They had a couple movies. Well, they just released the the Mandalorian roundtable episodes. Yeah, which they just released episode one. So all they're doing is rehashing what they had already given us. Like all these other streaming platforms are making more documentaries too. Yeah, yeah. behind the scenes at the parks and stuff, which is stuff that us Disney nerds want. And yeah, but do you think the mass majority of people who were who were paying for Disney Plus want to see that thing? Uh, I think it's what's going to maintain those people who love Disney keeping it, I think adding more content will bring more people in. But I think the but scripted shows... I think shows. as far as I know, us Disney nerds, we're pretty freaking... We're going to have Disney Plus just for the documentary. That's fair. <laughs> the but- other thing is, is I feel like a majority of people who have Disney Plus have it so that, that way they can show their kids... The things that they yeah, loved when they were kids. The things that they loved when they were kids. This is the one app that I see that when I look into it with my, like, young children teacher vision it's the one app that i would feel is safe to use with kids like i would let my kid just use this app on their own yeah well it's supposed to be for family yeah exactly like it's it's a really it's a kid family thing whereas like you can have netflix kids and you can have youtube kids but there's still ways that people get in there and Mm -hmm. stuff you don't want your kids to look at i feel like one of the biggest foundations of disney plus is that it straight up is this for kids like your kids will be safe watching this. There are a few shows that are a bit more violent, like the Star Wars shows and stuff, but... Even relatively speaking. Even relatively speaking, this this is set for... Like, they have their set audience. They, they are making bank no matter what. They, I feel like that's what's taking them longer to think about adding content is because they're like, why we have this set foundation. Well, and, and I think it's, you know, you have kids okay, I don't have to remember to bring the entire DVD collection because they want to watch Frozen 2 12 times in a row on this one car trip. I can just uh-huh. Disney Plus make it. it a hot spot in Disney Plus, whatever yeah. movie it Tablet is that they want to watch on repeat. But I feel like if you want to keep up with Apple TV+, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, all those things, you need to come up with more original programming, scripted original programming, like oh, Mandalorian, yeah, which, which was a huge hit for them when it first came out. And yeah, I think they will need they, to at they, some point. But Yeah, they clearly are doing that because they do have all projects in the books. I just don't think they need to have the set schedule like those other things do because how big their foundation audience is. But all they're doing is creating Marvel shows and Star Wars shows. Like, they need to branch it. out from I, I mean, Huh? I'm watching the hell out of it, but I'm watching the crap out of it, and I have no okay. get rid of it or there. document. That's that's what I'm saying. As like, I could see their point of view is that we don't really need to spend a lot of money to like have like five new shows every month. Because I will, and I think the thing is, is Disney Plus is just a branch of Disney. 
Like yeah, Netflix is Netflix. Mm-hmm. It doesn't own parks. It doesn't have theatrical movies. It doesn't have, you know. But I would have say that Disney things. Plus is the thing that's making the money right now. Well, yes, at this yeah, moment, because we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah. and quarantine. But, <laughs> like, even, even long term, that's not their only source of revenue. It is simply and they also a buttress. Have half of Hulu, too. So, yeah. Actually, I think they own all of Hulu now. Or all of Hulu. Yeah, yeah, they own all of Hulu now. So they have that, and Hulu's still bringing out new shows, too. So, okay. In fact, I think, I think from what I'm understanding, the Lizzie McGuire show that was going to be on Disney Plus is probably going to end up being on Hulu. Yeah. Because the creators decided that if Lizzie McGuire is going to be 30, this is how she would actually be at 30. She's not going to be the same level of cutesy middle school teen anymore. So... Okay. It's, it's, it hasn't even been a year that this app has been out. Mitch, calm down. I'm just saying they should have more. They should have more programming. Apple TV Plus hasn't been out for a year either, and they have tons of programming. Yeah, yeah but I, who actually I, has I Apple TV Plus? Stuff to watch I don't, Disney but I yet. I would still want to watch the shows that are on there. <laughs> but so I mean, the, but that's the thing. Like, if you're just looking at numbers, like, yeah, Apple TV may have more new content. But How many things got have you watched on Disney Plus? I don't watch TV except when, for this. I, I've only watched Mandalorian. Like I've watched a few episodes of, of older stuff, but I haven't really gotten around to watching anything else. Like yeah, and see, I've I have I've watched fifty million things. I've been watching the old Disney movies that nobody knows about constantly, like once a week with my parents and stuff. I've you know the only reason why I haven't been watching Disney Plus recently is that I've been over on Hulu having to watch Steven Universe. So that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's about the only thing that's which, pulled me from Disney Plus, which lately. is still making Disney money. So <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's get Netflix into Russian show. Doll. Uh, Russian Doll last episode. Steven, take it away. All right. So this was a crazy episode, <laughs> and I want to talk about it. That's all. <laughs> This is the this is the season finale. Um, uh, right up front, how do you guys feel about the way that the season ended, and knowing that there's going to be another season? I don't want there to be another season. I don't regard. I only I just, wanted. I to- liked the ending so much. I don't want them to screw it up. Like to me, this was a great ending. Like, like yes, there could be more to it, but you don't need that more to it. Like, to to me, I, I like it. I I liked the ending. I liked the last episode, but I want more because I want a reason why. I I yeah. have to have a reason why. I don't. Even Do if like it's not, it doesn't reasons? end up being good, huh? Do you like twelve reasons why? <laughs> is it thirteen reasons why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your joke is terrible, and you should feel bad. Yeah, mate. But no, um, yeah. For you, John, how did you feel about this ending? Um. It was great. Uh, I kind of feel torn because I, I, I agree with both points that I, I really want to know what set off this whole thing, what their connection is and everything, what the rules are to this thing, why things were disappearing and so forth. I need answers. <laughs> However, if it ended like this, I could kind of leave it because it's so open-ended that I'm also able to draw my own conclusions. <clears throat> so, and, and that would also work for me because uh, I mean, I made a comment. I watched that episode as soon as we were done recording the last episode. Yeah. And um, yeah, like within the first few minutes when you get that big reveal twist of, uh, you know, sort of a state change in the status quo. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoa. Like, where's this going to go? Like, what's going to happen here? 
And so I was drawn in, invested. I super wanted to find out. Actually, there was a point where I was like, I don't even know if I want an answer. I just want to see how they're going to get out of this. Like, what's going to mm-hmm. happen next? Um, but that being said, yeah, I kind of want to. I would, knowing that there is the second season, it's kind of hard to be completely objective about it because I know that we are going to get more content about it. Um, so I'm going to say. It was the good way to end it as sort of a cliffhanger, with also the promise that we're going to get more information. Um, so I'm curious about several things. One, are we going to be following the two separate timelines and see if they converge again, or is one going to become dominant over the other? Um, I think I even read in the IMDb trivia for this episode that uh, it's left unclear if one of the timelines will become dominant over the other because of the way that it ends, it's sort of like the two merge within the tunnel and mm-hmm. then you come out with one at the end. But, okay. But I they were, makes sense. but there was the, 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 I don't know, the version that had knowledge that had knowledge for both of them that came out at the end. Mm. Possibly. Well, it he's, he's wearing the, the scarf and she's wearing, or he's wearing the lay and she's wearing the white shirt. So they basically oh. came merged at the very end. Correct. They broke mm-hmm. the cycle and joined back into. That's the how stream. how I interpreted it. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That same. is definitely not the way I took it then, because I didn't see him wearing the same uh, scarf afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I did also enjoy like kind of regressing back to like episode one, Nadia. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, she's such a bitch. Was like, <laughs> we went on this whole journey with her, and it was kind of like. You almost forget where you started with her. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a really interesting twist to that dynamic. One thing that I liked for the episode was just that. Like you saw everyone, pretty pretty much um, everyone else that's there is the like they're themselves from the beginning of everything. Uh, Mike is it's driven home that Mike's a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh like, they brought that back. <laughs> yeah, because I, I didn't want to feel for him in that one episode. But at the same time, there is an interesting statement in that that is still the exact same person that we saw and did feel something for in that other scene. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone can still seemingly come off like being a terrible person to somebody, but you don't know that person's life, you know? Um, for for this episode, th- there were some things that I thought were like incredibly good scenes. Uh, one of those being, strangely enough, that exchange with the old man that wouldn't let her into the apartment building. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. a beautiful scene. Speaking of which, was that the guy that plays Rocky's brother-in-law? Yes. I was like, I, I thought that was him, and I was like, there's no way he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive, <laughs> and that's him. He was also in uh, Back to School with, it, with Roddy Dangerfield. He's the, the driver. <gasps> See, and, and what I found interesting was, because I didn't think all of the characters reverted back to their original. Because Maxine, the, the ones who interact with the reverted... Alan or the reverted Nadia act as they did in the original. But the ones mm-hmm. who interact with the knowledgeable, the knowledgeable Alan and Nadia act differently. For instance, um, the knowledgeable Nadia runs into Maxine, who is much more caring, walks her down the stairs, helps her change outfits, mm-hmm. all of those things, which is not the way Maxine acted in the first episode. I still think she might have been that person. <laughs> like, 
I don't know. When you 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 take into account when they were watching that projection thing, you know, uh, she doesn't really care about what other people were doing or what what's going on around her. It's only about her. She's the center of the attention. That was this was the Maxine that hadn't smoked the Israeli joint yet. That's why she was more. (laughs) Ah, okay. Because like at the end of the day, no matter what, she did set up the whole party for for Nadia. But it's more of a reason for her to have a party. But she makes her a chicken. It's not that it's not that the original Maxine didn't care. She expressed her care in a very harsher manner. Fair. She was not a oh. nurturing Maxine. That didn't mean she's not a caring Maxine. She just wasn't the nurturing. See, I kind of sort of always felt like how Maxine was depended on how Nadia was. That's fair. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, almost a reflection of what Nadia was going through. Because I, I realized thinking back on the show, I feel like all the side characters are the perceptions of Nadia and Alan. Yeah, I agree in that one. But like... And, like, Lizzie, when she interacts with the knowledgeable Alan, feels a little different. She feels more vulnerable than she does in the original episode. And I think the starkest contrast is Horse, when he deals with knowledgeable Nadia and um, Oatmeal. He comes Mm. across very much the way we've seen him interact with Nadia over the episodes. And then when we see him interact with the original Alan, he tries. To, he takes advantage of Alan. Oh, he yeah. basically I, coaxes him, you know, out of all of his items. Yeah, but to me that solidifies the idea I got. I, I want to say I got the episode that it's the show is kind of sort of really about the person that you are, depending on who you are with. Yeah, because I was going to say change like, so much. But like, yeah. but so like, of course. So Horse is one of those complicated characters that is really reflective on how he thinks the people he's with is, he changes his character depending on who he's with. Yeah. The characters around him. We've also seen that, for Horse in particular, I think we've seen that reflected in his his interactions with Nadia based on how well she knows him. Yeah. Which is, I agree with you, but so that goes against the premise that everybody reverted back to their original what, I'm, I don't think like not not to say that everyone is like like a like a core kind of person and they're just that one thing. It's that it's it's showing them as they as the original version of them that we saw in the show was because no matter what that version of Mike is still the same Mike that we saw the sympathetic scene with. Like Mike, Mike contains both things of being that same dad and then also being. A whole basket of shit. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, maybe I chose like the wrong like, wording for that one. Because people have layers and are complicated, like a Russian doll. Got it. Like, like, like a parfait. <laughs> like a parfait. <laughs> like a parfait. <laughs> no, uh, I, mean. <laughs> no I, I don't like. Um, I think there was a lot to choose from in this scene, or in this scene, uh, in in this episode, to be like your favorite moment. I just want to know what some of your guys' favorite ones are. For, for you, Beth, what, what was your favorite? I think for me, it comes down to two. Alan's discussion with Lizzie, where he tells her that Nadia wanted her to know that she thinks she'd make a great mother. Mm-hmm. Because 
And then on the opposite side, Nadia's interaction with Alan's neighbor and that whole conversation about, you know, your deceased wife is in another timeline sipping my <laughs> ties with Fabio. It's not, not Fabio. You're making me jealous. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, that showed most clearly and most succinctly their growth. Mm-hmm. Alan would have never felt comfortable reaching out and talking to somebody he barely knows. I mean, because even after all this time, he barely knows Lizzie. To make that kind of statement, to know what she needs, to read that into the situation. And Nadia, to feel the need to make somebody else feel better. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that those two particular scenes encapsulated their growth very well. Uh, for, for you, Mitch, any favorite scenes? Uh, I would say my one of my favorite scenes that comes to mind is uh, Nadia putting Alan to sleep, putting him to bed, telling him the story. Like you know, her interpretation of their their life, their story being intertwined with each other. Then she saves him, but she he's also not so much saving her, but showing her. The, her issues, the things that she has wrong with her that she already knows, but has been brought to the surface. Okay. Um, for you, John? Uh, I like the scene where Alan had to convince um, Nadia to come see him again. <laughs> and she used the dollar amount of the, uh, the cucaran that she had on, around her neck. Like he <laughs> remembered the exact amount. And Which is like a solid that, like immediately yeah. got to her. I thought that was pretty cool. Also, I forgot to mention last time it was in my notes, and I kicked myself afterward. Um, the ending song for the credits of the penultimate episode was mm-hmm. "Organs" by Pussy Riot. It was a good song. To mention the second favorite Pussy Riot song, I was like, "Ah, oh, so good." <laughs> uh, and for you, Jess, any particular? Um, I don't know. I just, I liked most of the scenes. I probably, one of my tops is probably Nadia with the neighbor, uh, where he talks about like telling her to stop smoking. To me, that was just so realistic of a situation. Like, I feel like I would be that neighbor person being like, you should stop smoking. Like, even though I don't know (laughs) Nadia at all, I feel like I could see myself doing something along the of that. Um, I just, I also liked Nadia handling the knowledgeable Nadia with Alan and just how she handled somebody that she knew was suicidal. I feel like that's something more people should see and should know how to do. Cause she just, just being there for him and talking him through and like talking about other things. I think that's something that, and, and then I was, I actually was a little utterly terrified that like Nadia was that when she woke up without him in the bed, I was like, Oh my God, no. I was like, how she did everything. Like, no, like what? I was like freaking out. Like, no, don't like, she did what you're kind of sort of supposed to do. So I'm like, ah, like <laughs> what happened? along that so. Jessica, I appreciated the fact you probably caught on to this, that she didn't make false promises to him when he asked, you know, if you, if oh, I yes, don't jump, no. do you promise me I'll be happy? And she's like, no, I just oh, promise yeah, you won't be yeah. alone. Like, yeah, I, I no, can't promise that you'll be happy. That's why I was upset that it tried to scare me for, like, five seconds that he had actually... So I was like, no, she actually did things the right way. Like, 100% the right way would be to try and get into an expert. But, like, at the same time, like, how she handled 
somebody who's suicidal, I felt like is something that should be shown more. So people can also like who don't have trainings and on how to do that, you can see an example of how to handle somebody who is having suicidal thoughts. Because it's a scary moment and some people blank up and they do the typical like, oh, no, you don't want to kill yourself thing. But that's no, they they do want to like you've got to just I don't know. I feel like it's something that should be shown more. And I think it was handled beautifully. And I just I liked this whole episode. And I just I'm just more scared with season two if they're going to like ruin some of the feelings I have about it now. So that's my worry. But. I do love this writing. So. They're going to make you feel even harder next time. <laughs> I don't need to feel things. I've been feeling way too much lately. <laughs> the part I liked, because I was coming into this episode until Stephen told me that it would be better than I thought. You know, I, I was like, uh, we're going to have a second season. So, like, I'm not going to like this concluding season finale because there's not going to be a finale. It's not going to close everything. And what I like is this episode, for the first time, you clearly get a succinct reason why but not a conclusive reason why that they died Mm -hmm. because it's it's fleshed out that they aren't that different in how they died the first time while Nadia didn't necessarily commit suicide intentionally she -hmm. also just didn't care enough to look both ways before crossing the street she describes it as a death wish she has a death wish she's suicidal yes so they paint that picture for you, but that doesn't necessarily, it's not conclusive. Like they, they don't hit you over the head with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's my worry. See, I typically don't like um, endings that can have multiple meanings. Like I don't like the ending of Inception. Well, I, I don't like the ending of Inception at all. Like I, I'm not saying, but in this case, I think because of what this show is about, I feel like, it's good that it's an ending that you can interpret on your own. That is something that you can internalize and about your own life or take your own. Like, I feel like having a loose ending with the show is actually a good thing for the people that are watching it because it, mm-hmm. I don't know. I did a lot of reflection on my own life watching the show. So I feel like I'm, I'm worried if they get too concrete in it, it's going to pull away from how it can actually help people. If it gets a little bit too concrete, I don't. I don't know if I'm describing it the right way, but no, that makes sense to me. I don't know, like the for for this one. I think everything in the show was like it was so realistic, mm-hmm. and in so many people, even though there are people who seem like cartoonish portrayals of something, um, I think that there those are still archetypical people, and that was yeah. something that I enjoyed the most. Like that there. Living in a bigger city, um, like I, I, there was a homeless guy who was my favorite homeless dude that I always gave money to and dropped it in his pan, that he his frying pan that he held out, and like I knew that oh, dude I well. He said in his pants, so I was like, dude, no, no, um, no, like the, I, there's a particular time um, in with that dude was like, like I saw him every day when I went past this one part to go to one of my classes. Uh, And every single day it was changing his pan. He had this like massive smile and everything. He's like, like nice dude, um, but clearly like massively down on his luck and everything. And then there's just one day. That's the anomalous day. And all of those things where he was clearly having an awful time and not holding the pan out or anything. And that day stuck with me in such a massive 
way, you know, like I wouldn't help him even more in that moment than I had ever wanted to or anything. Um, and that's just so much of this show. So, so many things in this are real. And I don't think that they would agree to do a second season if they didn't have a reason. I know for me, what I hope to see in the second season is actually almost a recurrence later on in life because you know if if you're prone to these things and it's at least suggested that you know this is something that both of them have been battling for long for long parts of their lives you know they may have broken the cycle this time but what happens when they run out of the will to live again the next time mm-hmm. And that would can, be a realistic one for this. And yeah. can they find each other again? Can they pull each other out again? Do they need somebody else to pull them out this time? And how does that yeah. play out? Yeah. I, I would definitely take that one. Because, again, that would be a realistic portrayal of depression and everything. It's not, yes. it's not a thing that you conquer. It's an, going, like it's an ongoing battle. So. And I think that would be a solid reason to do a second season where you don't necessarily have to make it any more concrete and you could do enough different things with it because each time you battle depression, you know, while you battle depression, each episode differs Yeah. in severity, in ways to get out, in, you know, steps taken, they're always different. Yep. Um, uh, is there anything anyone else wants to say about this episode or anything or the show in general? Did you get to say your favorite part? Mm. Mm. Uh, honestly, it was the whole series. Like at mm. this point, it culminated in such a good finale for me that it was it was this perfect little topper for everything. <laughs> so since you're the one that, you know, really enjoyed the show the first time around before the rest of us got a chance to watch it and then you know, this is your second time around. Do you have any theories or do you care to have any theories about why this happened to the two of them? Honestly, there are some things where it's like, like I, I like theorizing. I like picking out little tidbits of something to theorize for this or that. Um, for this one, it just came to a certain point with everything that I just trust them implicitly. Like, I'm not going to try to theorize or anything. They'll give me something good. So that that's pretty much where I'm at. Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, the last thing is something that I think I've talked about in every single episode for this. Um, anyone who's made it this far in listening to us talk about this or for you guys who watched this and enjoyed it, um, after this, yeah. I really recommend Maniac. I think the two pair perfectly together. It's another Netflix series. Um, has uh, Mitch's favorite person. Yeah. It. Thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I've only seen episode one, but I vouch for it. It's really interesting. It's so interesting that you've only seen episode one. <laughs> I only watched episode one of Devs. What was that? I only watched the first episode of Devs for a while there. I, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to John. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. I, I, I sold that series. You're like, arguing that it's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, John? Uh, I say I want to check out. I'm going to check out the rest of Maniac. How about that? Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, a little piece of trivia that goes along with this episode because the title of the episode is derivative of uh, was it Greek god? Greek goddess, yeah. Greek oh. goddess. So yeah, Arana- Arana- 
uh, daughter of Minos and Fasafe, who gave Theus the thread by which he escaped from the labyrinth. Deserted by Theseus on Naxos, she became the bride of Dionysus. So, hey, that's another Inception reference. The uh, Ellen Page character was also named Ariadne. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, does that, I mean, does that have any significance to this episode being Greek mythology kind of stuff? I mean, the well, idea of crawling out of something, sure. It's, well, yeah, finding your way back. Or yeah, the, the, the escape from the maze. There, there was no way that he would have made it out of her holding that. It's it's having that, that person that is there to keep you wanting to dig out of the... Keep you with the ability to get out of the maze. Ah, okay. I'm trying to think of, like, the idea... The other significance of the connection to, like, the becoming the bride of Dionysus, like... Well, I mean, That's in terms of one. partying, yeah. 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 Bride of... Yeah. This, huh. this episode... I have to reread the mythology. But this... so would that imply that... Alan is Theseus and... Nadia is Arnadia? Arnade? And so therefore I, he I abandons her? I feel like they switch roles. Between who is knowledgeable and who is not. Aha, uh-huh, they both play both. Yeah. They both play both. But then who abandons the Minotaur? <laughs> no idea. Either way, uh, this episode is also the episode that won them uh, an, an Emmy for Outstanding Cinematography for a Single Camera Series. I see. I feel like all the shows always win it for the wrong episode. <laughs> <laughs> always the case. I uh, Watching... Watching this episode the like the second time, I liked the ending shot more than I did for the first time. The first time, I felt nothing with the whole culmination of the two cameras. Okay. I'll oh, see. I oh. liked it. Yeah. Do, do do we have any? Do you, does anybody feel any significance to that parade? Because this is the first time we've seen that parade, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't even seen that mask thing ever before either. Mm-mm. I don't think we ever did. I feel like I remember seeing that 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 mask head thing that he wore before, but I don't know. Uh, okay. Was anyone else surprised it wasn't a horse? I mean, <laughs> it'd be a little bit too on the on the nose. I just like I don't know. There's probably some significance to the fact that he was like a stag or whatever it was, but like. Eh. <laughs> so, okay. I don't know. I, I just want to thank you guys for giving the show a try, though. I'm really glad that you guys liked it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, thank you for recommending it. Yeah, I hope uh, I, I I hope we get to see the second season sometime soon. Okay, so there you go. If you want to talk to me more about this show or anything that we talked about today, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia G E M G E M since we're Geek Elite Media. Jessica, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter as J M Bailey writes. John, where can people find you online? I'm also on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. And Stephen. Uh, come find me on Twitch. I'm streaming drawing over there, twitch.tv slash peppermintgentleman. Elizabeth? You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media um, across the internet at Geek Elite Media and on our Facebook pages forward slash Geek Elite Media. And uh, check out our website for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. 
This concludes our broadcast. 